Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome to Off the Bench with Bell and Cannell. Yeah, you like that, right? It's got more yeah. of a ring. I swear it's got a better ring. But anyway, um, I'm here driving today. I got Hannah riding shotgun, uh, Debo on the ones and twos. Our boy Danny is up at Shinnecock. Like, what a life, right? What a life. Yeah, hang He's life. snapping away. He's all over his Instagram. No shame, though. Who cares about your day job? Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, today we'll be talking NBA draft. We got Gary Parrish on later in the show. But first, apparently, Debo brought this to my attention. I said Tiger would win the U.S. Open. After the players. Definitely said that. Um, and we're on Long Island this weekend. So the question is, do I expect Tiger to fulfill what I projected him to do? The answer is no. Uh, but why don't we hear from Tiger himself talking about the pressure to perform at this year's U.S. Open? I'm looking forward to having the opportunity and having the challenge. Uh, hopefully I can play well enough to put myself there. Uh, will there be any extra pressure? I think that that's just natural. There, there would be. I mean, it's a major championship. There's only four of these a year. Um, that would be a nice, nice problem to have. And so hopefully I can do that. All right. I, I, speaking for Tiger fans, I guess you wouldn't fall in that category, Hannah. No, I'm going to, I'm going to bow out respectively. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> can't, I can't with him. I'm a Tiger fan. He's got three career U.S. Opens, uh, wins. He's 2000, 2002, 2008. Uh, but he hasn't participated in a while and Shinnecock is, as good a test of golf as there is out there. So, um, look, I expect Tiger to continue the trend. Like Danny and I have talked about a lot on the pod. He's been trending in the right direction. His game has been rounding into form. He's had an issue on the putting greens, uh, and the green complex at Shinnecock can be really tough. But he said he found something in a stroke while he was working back at home in Jupiter. Um, and if he can do that, I think he'll be right there in the mix. This, the scary part for me this weekend is, like, Shinnecock is known um, – to be a tough driving place. It's an old school golf course. You have to drive the ball straight and they've widened the fairways. Last time they were there, they were like 25 yards wide. They're up to like 46, I believe, but they've replaced like 200,000 yards of sod with fescue. So if you miss the fairway, you're, you're punching out. Like it's a pitch out. There's, it's a second shot golf course. So if he's wild off the tee, which he's shown a propensity to be this year at times, he could be in a little bit of trouble. Um, did he ever say anything about his back? The back hasn't been on the table this year, which I appreciate because, like I said before, if I, if he comes out with back problems again, I got to be out. The back hasn't been an issue. It's really – mentioned his back last time. He's he's sore like a normal 42-year-old would be, but nothing right. okay. out of the ordinary like he suffered in previous Yeah, it hasn't been like the glutes not firing and the back not giving him. He's mentioned – I think he had a tight back in one tournament. Um, the good the good news for Tiger is, like again, it's a second-shot golf course, um, and his strokes gain stats in 2018 approach to the green is fourth. Um, and around the green, he's fifth. And that's really what you're going to have to do around Shinnecock. You're going to have to be able to get up and down. Because, again, if you miss, you're in the fescue. I mean, you're going to be pitching out. And then it's whether you can get up and down uh, or if you can pull some some rabbits out of your hat uh, and, and make some things happen around the green. And I think that part of his game is in really good shape. So, again, I hope Tiger is in form. I hope he continues to follow trend. And when you're talking about trending golfers, like at the top of the list is Dustin Johnson, right? Like he's just coming off of a win at, at the St. Jude FedEx Classic. He's got two wins this year, uh, two seconds and seven top tens. Uh, so he's got to be one of the favorites going in. Um, we got some sound from Dustin Johnson talking about trying to win his second U.S. Open. 
For me, I think it's well. It's hard to get number two right now, but it was it was hard to get number one. But I think it's hard to get to get any of them. It's uh, you know, it's a it's just a, a tough task. There's only four majors, and you know, to to win a major, you have to have everything working very well. Um, you know, and you got to play really good all four rounds. That sounds kind of like, like it speaks for itself. So, you mean you got to play all four rounds? Like that doesn't that just make sense? Seventy-two holes. Yeah, but I mean, no, no <laughs> shit, you got to play well all four <laughs> rounds to win a major. Like we, we're we're not playing like in the municipal like twilight round at. Right. at um, no, but Dustin's my. I think I'm picking Dustin to win, and I know I said Tiger. Before. I do the same, or will I jinx it? No, dude, hop on and this bandwagon. With my record, I feel like I have a bad rep, but I'm going to go with you on this one. I'm actually a big fan of him. I enjoy watching him. Well, Dustin, well, he's the favorite. He's the heavy favorite at seven to one. And our, like Danny would surely say, I'm not going to touch that because in golf, like anything value. can happen. Right. The value, there's no value there, but Tiger's 14 to one. Uh, JT, friend of the show, 14 to one. Roy McElroy at 12 to one. I think, uh, another name that I like, uh, Ricky Fowler, 18 to one, like low shot trajectory. You're out there on Long Island, like in the Hamptons, a lot of wind blowing. It's going to really dictate um, some holes to players. And a guy with a low shot trajectory can be really dangerous if he's got it cooking. Uh, so I like Ricky Fowler. But you know what You know, I remember is I'm watching that clip of DJ. And the last time we were on the pod, Danny was saying that he was like a uh, – like he wasn't maybe like the brightest bulb in the pack. You guys remember Danny saying that? Yep. Did it sound like that a little bit? Like did that – is that my imagination? Like is yep. that like – he could be onto something with that. Really? I don't know if I want to comment, but I. Where are you heading with maybe this? A good, like with maybe a someone he's attached to. No, no, not at, at all. all. No, no, no. Don't, don't. What is Miss Gretzky? She's like, is, is she a bless your heart? I don't know. I don't know what that term means. I, I do. So, so and David I Griffin. Know. David Griffin used to have a term for like for guys in the NBA. I, no one in particular. Uh, like they looked the part, right? Like. Six nine two guard yeah. with handles can jump out of the gym like everything is perfect, but he's a bless your heart, which means like there's just something missing upstairs a little bit. It's a bless your heart. Bless your heart. No, I love that yeah. phrase. That's great. Is she a bless your heart? Do you know this? No, I'm, I don't know. I'm gonna steal that. You're gonna steal yeah, the bless your heart. I'm gonna steal it for her. Shout out Griff. Oh, so she is a bless your heart. Shout out Griff. Is DJ a bless your heart? I don't know him. I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we're all just judging these people's personality. Yeah, but I mean, that's what we do, right? Like we're Yeah, all but the, that's, yeah, we should do that. Wait, I have to say something. Is, is Tiger still on that yacht? 155 foot yacht. 20 so, million? Yeah, I just looked this up. He, it says that he could pay over a thousand each day to dock this. It's like a 155 foot yacht. That's unbelievable. A thousand a day. That's like you drop in like a dollar fifty at Starbucks. Do you think we could trade? <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, think there's any way he may have an advantage because I heard like I was listening to Brant Snedeker talk yesterday a little bit. And apparently the traffic and this is a big beef of mine. I don't mean to take us like off the rails, but since I'm hosting, no, you're good. Pod, Go I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Oh, yeah. It's Bell and Canal. I hate traffic. Bell and Canal. Bell and Canal. Danny, it's a wrap. Um, <laughs> I hate traffic. It's like the biggest pet peeve of mine. Of course. And apparently like when you're out there on Long Island, my, my in-laws live on Long Island. So I have to take this drive out to to the, the Hamptons. It's one way, it's one road in, one road out. And so if you are east of Shinnecock Hills, mm-hmm. the traffic is fine. If you are west of Shinnecock Hills and you have to get to your tea time, you might have to leave your hotel, which could be like eight miles away. Like oh, you're screwed. Three and a half, four hours prior to your tea Oh, so you support the yacht movement. I think it could be like, when you're talking about getting over the hump with like little things, mm-hmm. like pro golfers and, and 
and Branson Ecker said this, like the last thing they want to do is sit around in the clubhouse like three hours early waiting for a round just because you didn't know what traffic was going to be like. Right. And you want to be in like your best headspace. So I actually can make a case for the yacht being like a, a really good, a really good thing. I'm just bitter. Well, I, I don't hate bitter. on Jupiter's finest. Phil I know. I'm always for the yacht. Well, look, Phil Mickelson, and we didn't talk about Phil. Phil was 22 to 1. Right, he has never won the U.S. Open. It's the one major that's eluded him. Um, he's had what is it? Five. He's five-time major champion, um, and he's finished second. How many Six times? times. Do you know? Six times in the U.S. Open. He's got some demons here at Shinnecock Hills. Also, uh, he had a three putt uh, in 04 from five feet away to double bogey on 17 to lose the tournament. It's one of his heartbreaks in the U.S. Open. And here's a little Phil sound uh, on taking on the challenges of this year's Shinnecock. The challenge of the greens being extended and all the contours uh, will continue to take balls further from the hole, but you you end up in fairway and have a have a shot, albeit a difficult one. And I feel like your short game is going to be challenged. Putting will be challenged as well as ball striking, irons, driver. I, I feel as though the the, the luck of the the uh, of a course has been uh, taken out as much as possible to where skill is the primary factor. I think we're going to have a great leaderboard and a great tournament. I just love the way Phil like subtly and sh- throw shade at at prior courses and and um he he's been like uh, he's been really outspoken about the way the PGA sets up some of these courses and how unfair they've been and you know I I think he's right though I think uh the fact that they've trimmed down some of those areas around the green will bring shot making back into play you'll have to have uh your short game um really dialed in and typically that's Phil's MO uh the problem is this year his strokes gain stats for 2018 he is 79th around the green. And that's not really, you know, wheelhouse Phil. That's not really like top of his game Phil, but his putting is second on the PGA Tour. And so that speaks well because you are going to have to putt well at Shinnecock. The question is, do you think Phil gets a win this weekend? Do you think mentally, um, he can put the demons away from that 04 loss and all of the losses at U.S. Open and get it done. I was going to ask. It's kind of the same thing going back to Tiger Woods. About a month ago, Jack Nicklaus said Tiger has to learn how to win again. Right. Phil has to just learn how to win this the U.S. Event. Open. Can both of those guys overcome mental demons, you know, golf a mental game? Yeah. Do you think that is in each of their heads? I, yeah, I think that certainly – being at a specific tournament could start to creep in. Like when we're talking about Phil, I think there becomes a little bit more pressure placed on getting that U.S. Open. When your resume is as rounded as Phil's is and, and you've experienced success everywhere except one particular uh, event, I think there can be some pressure there. I do think Phil will be in the mix this weekend. It's a grinder's course. Um, it's a place where you know things go wrong and you're in that fescue you're gonna have to be creative you're gonna have to just stick around and find ways to make shots i think that speaks to phil's game a little bit um and tiger yeah definitely when you've been out for as long as tiger's been out and you haven't played golf and you haven't been in those winning situations um i think there is something to having to learn you know how to do it again so you know the 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 big thing for me is, is the course and what you can never predict when you're going out to a course no matter how well the pga sets it up no matter how many changes they make towards to the old design is you don't know how it's going to play um, and the feedback so far is it, it's been really good. But if that wind starts howling um, and, and, and things go sideways, you know, it, it could just be a completely different animal than what guys have seen in the practice rounds. And so, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, so let's pick. Like, well, who's your favorite? I've, I'm going to take – wait for it – Justin Rose. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't talk about him at all, but he's a <laughs> grinder. He won a U.S. Open when was that? 16? 
Yes. And Marion? Really tough. Oh, was at Oakmont. Oakmont? Justin Rose did? 2016. Oh, 15 was at, at, uh, 2013 at Marion. My bad. 2013 at Marion. But another link style wide open, really tough up and down golf course. And so I'm going to pick Justin Rose because I think so he's you a were grinder. Just throwing Hannah off the set oh, when you said I, DJ. Yeah, no, I'm going DJ. Yeah. I'm I, sticking to my guns. No way. I'm, I think it's smart for you to go with a favorite. Yeah, because yeah. I always go the opposite. Did I pick DJ? Yeah, you said it. And I was like, I'm going with you, Raja. But no, it's fine. and I said, come I on with alone. me. Let's get on this boat and let's yeah, go. I stand now alone. You're all now. alone, baby. <laughs> I'm rolling with yeah. Jason Day. A little bit of value there. Really? Anything in particular? Or you just like the value. Value. All right. That's what golf's about. I'm going to go Justin. You got DJ. Danny would probably take who if he was here? Tiger. Tiger. There we go. <laughs> Sure. Picks and props? Is that a bet for? We'll get to picks and props. I want to ask you though. The yeah. over under for the winning score on the course is 275 and a half. So it's a par 70, mm-hmm. which means you're getting 280. So the winning mm-hmm. score would have to be minus five for the over to hit there. Minus five for the over. For the so if I'm taking the under, under to hit for the under, I would have to be minus five or minus six. Yes. Correct. I'm going to go over. Yeah. I think we'll be right around. Uh, four under, three under. At least that's the way the PGA wants. The last it time the U.S. Open was at Shinnecock, Retief Goosen won at minus four. Minus four, huh? I just said I'll take the under, but but I'm, the course has changed, like you said. It has, but it, they're saying it's more playable now than it was then. So then I'll go over. It was lengthened, um, but they're saying it's more playable. So I'll go over. More uh, coming up in picks and props. More coming up in picks and props. All right. So we just touched on the U.S. Open. We'll have to. Cover that, I guess, a little bit more in the picks and props. But right now, uh, we've got you have to see it. You have to see it. And so we're talking about Dustin and Justin and Tiger and all those guys wanting to hoist championship trophies. There were two teams that got to do it yesterday. The Warriors and the Caps held their championships parade. Yeah, and Steph Curry, Steph Curry was just going wild like we haven't seen him before. Steve Kerr said he was getting lit for the both of us. At what? one point, I saw rookie Jordan Bell go into the crowd, grab a bottle of Hennessy. Yeah, he from a needed Hennessy. <laughs> yeah, like out. start drinking. What has happened to these parades? I mean, when you win three times in four years, you got to get creative. Uh, Clay e. Thompson and Zaza Pacolia on the same float together. They're just a dynamic duo. Um, so the Warriors enjoyed themselves, and so did the Caps. Uh, Ovechkin, I don't think, has stopped partying. He's on a 72, 96, 100 hour plus bender at this point. Why not? First title in franchise history. Ovechkin first cup in 13 seasons in the NHL. I love this. Good turnouts. It's no birds parade, but uh, good turnouts. <laughs> oh, my. I knew you were going to throw that in there. Never been a part of a championship parade. It looks like it's phenomenal, and it looks like the lines between like the fans and the teams are blurring. And I think we should just do like one big like forget the parade. Let's just do a big party with everybody lumped into one one like I spot, and let's just get lit. Let's have Jordan what Bell. Was, what was that like in Miami? I don't even remember. Did you? You didn't go. No. How old were you? Uh When they won the first one, not that not the most recent one. What year was like, the first one? Oh six. Oh. Oh six. Yeah. Like yeah, you no, that right. would have been like parade time. You're right. For no, Atlanta, I was in. Right? Uh, I was in middle school. Yeah. You guys didn't go down. I like had just started middle school. You didn't go to the O three Marlins parade. <laughs> no. no. Ninety seven. <laughs> oh, I became a Marlins fan later in life. All right. Well, you've seen the parades. Now you have to hear it. You have to hear it. Lonzo Ball. Ooh, this is so good. Lonzo Ball, this track on Kyle Kuzma, titled Kylie Kuzma. Uh, did he take it too far? Probably a little sexist, but let's hear it. Alright. We thumbing through that money, look at y'all, y'all playing with your thumbs. Don't know who your daddy is, what your ass is getting son. We both taking shots, the only difference you ain't hitting none. Um, I don't know if you caught that. I would just like a moment of silence. 
for all the respect I had for the Ball family out the freaking window. I cannot stand him. I think, like, he thinks he's so hot, and this song just proves it. I can't freaking stand him. I want to hit him in the face. What say you? Did you catch that? Yeah. Don't know who your daddy is while your ass is getting sunned. <laughs> we both taking shots. The only difference is you ain't hitting none, which is just that's factually just, inaccurate. Yes, correct. <laughs> but, like, also, why is he doing this? Why? Um, why? Just... I actually like Lonzo. I do. Like, and I mean, and I don't, no, no, no. I mean, I like his personality in that, like, he this is all, do it. and this is all good fun with him and Kyle Kuzma. Like, he, it, they got this back and forth where, you know, you could tell a lot from, from a teammate and the way he responds to Lonzo. And his teammates seem to love him. And I know everybody hates that the is bad, true. And, but the teammates seem to I really like love his vibe. I like LeVar too. Um, but but I like that these guys are having fun. Look, they come into a lot of money. They're playing in the NBA. Yes, it's your job, uh, but you should be able to have fun and still live your life, provided you're still that you know true. working on your task. And I like that you get some glimpses into like who these guys are in their locker room. So I have I, I like it. Yes, fine, fine. You're right. I still just I hate it. What did you, like it. What did we think about the lyrics themselves? Like his ability, like his rap ability. I don't care. Is he writing them? Yeah, that's the thing. It's do you, like what do we actually know about this? Because I don't, I wouldn't trust that he's writing this. Well, you should have. You guys have your finger on the pulse of that. Like you know, I don't know. Like, is there some ghostwriting? Do you have any? You said you want to write some diss tracks the other day said, on last I, podcast. I, <laughs> oh, let's go! I could do this. I don't know what well, we don't have our in-house rapper. Danny's out of Shinnecock. Read and react. All right, we're just ready for our next segment. It's called Read and React. Uh, so this is a headline from CBSSports.com. Andrew Luck is throwing high school-sized footballs. Says he'll be ready for week one. Um, I guess when you're rehabbing, like you go through different weights of balls and sizes of balls. This is a good sign for Andrew Luck. Anytime, anytime you're throwing again, I think it's good. There's not a huge, huge difference between a high school-sized ball and a I was college like, and pro-sized ball. A woman's and a men's basketball, or what's I, the difference there? I think like that's fair. Play? What do your kids play? Yeah, I mean they're, they're different. They're, is it below high school level right now? Yes, they're in a peewee ball, and that's noticeable. I mean, there's a huge difference between a peewee ball and a and a college or pro ball. Don't know if there's a difference between college and pro. I think it's the same. Uh, and high school is marginally different. Like, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference. So this is a really good sign. Um, for Andrew Luck. For Andrew Luck, yeah, for an Indianapolis. And, um, so it's more the fact that he's throwing, not the fact that it's with a high school football. You're focusing on that throwing part. Yeah, because I don't, I don't see the ball as being the huge thing. The motion and the fact that he's doing it, I think, I think it's huge. Now, if you told me he was throwing a tennis ball, like, that'd be different, but he's, <laughs> right. Right? Like a racket <laughs> ball. Uh, but he's throwing, he's throwing a high school size ball. I think, you know, that's nothing but good for, uh, for Indianapolis. Um, let's go to another segment called Move the Needle. Move the Needle. We'll see if these move the needle for you at all. Uh, World Cup, World Cup kicks off tomorrow. No USA. Um, how does that impact your interest level? Like, who are we rooting for? What's, what's going on? This is your thing, right? You're so into this. Off the World Cup. I know your wife played soccer. Yes. You guys, do you guys have any, like, traditions that you do? Nah, no traditions. We, I just TiVo every game I can get my, not TiVo, TiVo! sorry. TiVo! <laughs> uh, I DVR every game I can get sorry. my hands on and we just sit there with the kids and watch them. So. I didn't mean to scream into the microphone. I just nah, so excited. No TiVo does still exist because I did research on it. After we talked about it during one podcast, really, it still exists. I don't suggest buying it. Uh, but um, <laughs> and no, that's on weird. the podcast one time, Raja said the World Cup is his favorite time I of the year. Dude, yes. I went on the other day. I went on uh, like my on demand, and it lets you pick like five of your favorite teams. So I picked uh, France, England, Portugal, Brazil, 
uh, and Germany. And I can TiVo every, I'm TiVo. Front runner. I can DVR, I can DVR every game they have, but I figure they're going to play some of the, some of the other teams anyway. So if I just get those main teams, I can watch all the games. Like, what, what are you looking for in this? There are a lot of storylines. today. Spain. Firing, sacking is what they call it. Sacking, sacking their manager, their manager right? A day before the World Cup starts. Where do, you, where do you take a job? Real Madrid? Yeah, but this is unrelated to that. Yeah, that, but that's unheard of. Like, there had to be, like, we talked about it prior to the pod. There's got to be something sketchy going on in. I don't want to speculate. You don't want to speculate in Russia. Um, you know what my favorite storyline from this is, is Ronaldo. This could be like his last real chance with Portugal at a World Cup. I think the, the next time, what's he, 32 now? 32, 33. Yeah, the next time it comes around, like, now you're talking about being long in the tooth. Um, odds four to one, Brazil, Germany coming in, the, the, trying to defend at five to one. France is one of my favorite teams in the world. Uh, I really, really love Paul Pogba. Yeah, I, I like the way they, they play with like a, like a Brazil kind of feels like Hogo Bonito kind of like less structured and more free flowing. Uh, what's your team? I don't know. I'm, I'm looking now. I don't, I don't know. Nigeria. Nigeria, huh? That's the, oh, you pulled that name out of the hat. You That's said the draw. All right. Well, we'll be pulling for I, sh- I should just like pick one out of a hat. I, I really, oh, I, I, pick one. I don't know which one I want. I'm going to go with Germany. Germany. You know, I'm disappointed it's not in. I mean, aside from the USA, mm-hmm. the Netherlands. I really like to watch the Netherlands play. All right. Yeah. We did learn today that North America will get to host yes. the 2026 20, World Cup. So that's going to be a combination of the USA, Mexico, and Canada. So dope. But we have to wait eight years for that. Hopefully, you going? USA qualifies. <laughs> eight years. Goodness uh, gracious. I hope I'm going. <laughs> no. I hope I'm going. Um, all right. Well, so that sounded like it moved the needle a little bit, right? Um, I'm about it. I got to get into lots it. This of, year lots of betting. Myself. Lots of betting going on. All right. Well, here's another one. Let's see if this moves the needle for you. Lamar Jackson. According to reports, lining up at different positions. Uh, apparently, his left teammates in awe, comparing him to young Michael Vick, has spent shared time on the field with Joe Flacco. Uh, John Harbaugh says that Jackson will be active on game day so he can be used in various ways. Gosh, I sure like him out there helping us, says Coach John Harbaugh. If you put two quarterbacks on the field at once, what options does it create for your offense? That's what we're trying to figure out. So does this move the needle at all for you guys? You're the one who talked about him a lot in the pre I love it, dude. You're rooting for him. You're rooting Look, for him. needle moving. But- you wanted him to stay at quarterback. You thought it was unfair that teams would even consider him at other positions, right? I, yes, but if you're going to use him as quarterback uh, slash uh, receiver or halfback or what have you until the Joe Flacco situation gets figured out and you can move him out of town and then you can slide Lamar Jackson into the quarterback spot, I'm all for finding ways to get guys on the field. Yes. Um, and, I, you know, generally speaking, I'm into creative stuff. Especially as it pertains to football. Like when I watch youth football with my kids, I hate to watch like the three yards and a cloud of dust like mentality. So when you're talking about getting more creative, putting another guy out there somewhere who can throw the ball and you can show me something that I don't normally see in an NFL game, like I'm down for that. So for me, that moves the needle a lot for a lot of reasons. I agree. I, I was quiet before because I was thinking about it, but I think this moves the, the needle a lot for me too. I'm definitely a fan of Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Thank you for speaking up. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry guys. I was before I was really thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. We teased it earlier. Yeah, we're going to go to... Picks and props. Picks and props. Picks and props. Killing it. We're glad we have Hannah actually making a pick today, but we're not going to find out the result until Sunday night or uh, or Monday morning. Yeah, so Raj is in the lead right now. Since we started keeping track about a month ago, Danny in second, I'm in third. Hannah. I look like like I have like a poor Syracuse education. So that Indians game didn't work out for you the other day? Uh, the Cardinals, was it Cardinals? <laughs> lost to the Padres when I faded you guys. So I'm just looking for stuff here. So the pick today, will Jordan Spieth, 
We didn't talk too much about him yeah. when we were breaking down the U.S. Open. Another good name. Finish in the top ten, and there's I picked this because there's almost even odds. Uh, it's plus 120 for it to be a yes. Um, but will Jordan Spieth finish in the top ten? It's another really good name, and I admittedly I was a little rattled during that segment trying to like settle into hosting the damn pod. Um, it's really nerve wracking. Though I gotta be honest, like I give Danny a lot of credit. Like I was in a full sweat over here. It was real struggles. <laughs> Um, but Jordan's a really good name because he's one of those grinders. He's one of those guys that's got a nice short game, can get up and down. I do think he'll be hanging around this weekend. I say he finishes in the top ten. I'm going to go no. Hannah? I'm going to go yes. Okay. All right. Hey, Hannah, let's ride. Going with the first place. The prop here. So we know Danny's not here. He's, like I said, frolicking at <laughs> Shinnecock right now. Yeah, um, mental image I have of Danny frolicking. <laughs> Fantastic. Go. Sure, Alabama fan. Love that. Uh, over under one birdie, you would score in 18 holes at Shinnecock. At Shinnecock laid out for the U.S. Open or at Shinnecock yes. like for public play? Yes. In 72 holes, you, you get to play four days of golf at Shinnecock. Over under one birdie, you score. Or would it be a push? You I think it's going to be a push. Just that one? It's going to be a push, yeah. I'm not usually, I'm not a, like, I think my high of birdies in a round might be three birdies. Like, I'm not – and that's on like, regular golf courses with slow greens. So I'm going to say push because I think I'll squeeze a birdie, a birdie out, but I wouldn't be counting on too many of it. I'm not answering this <laughs> I plead the fifth. Anna's, I'm Anna's avoiding hyped this up one. her basketball abilities, but she's not going to do that. No yeah, faith no. in the golf game? No, I've, I've never – I've only done – Putt putt like with alcohol. I I don't know. I don't know what it. No would top like. golf. No. No no top golf. And I, if I did that, I would probably also be with um, some alcohol. You know, some alcohol. Some so I I don't know. I, I have yet to experience that. We have to have to have like a pod outing. Under. Just take the under. You take the under. No, I plead the fifth. <laughs> I plead the fifth. But we have to have like a pod outing. Danny's been talking about this oh, for a absolutely. while. Top golf. We'll do some top golf. We've got Gary Parrish with us, NBA draft coming up on the 21st. He's a CBS Sports College Basketball Insider and host of the CBS Eye on College Basketball podcast, at Gary Parrish, CBS on Twitter. Uh, Gary, so look, we're sitting here looking at the mock draft, and I think what sticks out to me is a lot of boards have uh, Luka Doncic at number two. You've actually got him at number three and Marvin Bagley at two going to the Kings. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? What is it that you see there? Because admittedly, I'm not that familiar with Doncic. Well, there are reports out there that the Kings are not enamored with Doncic, but are um, very interested in Bagley. Now, as you know as well as I, at this point, there's a lot of information and a lot of misinformation, and so we will see. Um, I, 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 I firmly believe, one way or another, that you know Aiton's coming off the board first. DeAndre Aiton, the one and done star from from uh, Arizona, he's going to be a member of the of Phoenix Suns. And then after that, I think Bagley Doncic come off the board in some order. Uh, Jaron Jackson might pop into the top three one way or another. Uh, same thing for Mobamba. But I think the most likely scenario now is that the top three off the board are going to be Aiton, Bagley, Doncic in some order. And after that, um, there's a, a, a jumble of prospects that that could all go four, five, six, seven in almost any order. That's where the draft, I think, really gets interesting. It does. Um, back to the top of it real quick, though. The DeAndre Ayton uh, pick to Phoenix, and then that everyone regards him as, as the can't miss. Can you talk to me about, about why everyone feels that strongly? Because I didn't get enough of a sample size in terms of seeing his games. Like, I'm sure if I really did a deep dive, I could figure it out. But I didn't see enough of his games. What it is about him uh, that, that separates him from a Marvin Bagley uh, or, or, or Mo Bamba? 
Well, I'll be honest. You are right that, that most people do project him as a can't-miss, the obvious number one pick. I, I'm not sure I do. I, I, I He can't miss in the sense that he's not going to be terrible. Um, there's no chance of that, I mean, barring injuries, of course. But I'm not sure he's a absolute star the way, say, in 2003, everybody knew the guy going first, LeBron James, was an absolute star. 2012, everybody knows the guy going first, Anthony Davis, is an absolute star. Uh, with Aiton, he's awesome. I mean, he's physically built like nobody else in this draft. I always thought it was interesting that anytime you turned on an Arizona game this season and just – you didn't have to know anything about anybody. If I just paused it and said, who out there doesn't look like the other guys? It was always DeAndre Ayton. His shoulders, his body, his length, wingspan, his ability to, to yeah, be great around the rim, but also step away from 15 feet face up. It suggests that he's going to be able to um, do what modern bigs are asked to do so often, which is get away from the rim, create driving lanes, be able to knock down that shot. All the stuff there is there for, for, for superstardom. But I will be honest, if I were running the Suns, I'd be looking at DeAndre Ayton, no question. And I might actually take him. But I'd have Marvin Bagley in that conversation as well. I, I think they're both incredible prospects. And I'm not sure Ayton is obviously the better one. But I do think that it's going to be hard to imagine a scenario where he's not really good. It's just a question of can he be great. I certainly see why people think he can, but I'm not 100% there. Yeah, that's interesting. And you kind of talked about the, the, the modern big in the NBA. There's been, a, you know, the transition to guys that can step out on the perimeter and do more. And there are two guys, you know, that I've just been watching in workouts recently that seem to be making a little noise. One is Mo Bamba, who I think is more of a – when you think of him, he's more of a typical big, but he's got these videos out of the range uh, and the shot mechanics that he's been working on. Uh, and then and then Jaron – Jackson, who I don't, when I look at him, I, he doesn't seem like a, a typical big to me. Jaron Jackson Jr., he seems more like a three, but he's like 6'11". So what, what about those two? Do you think they can make that transition? And which one of them, um, is more of a threat to maybe a Marvin Bagley or, or DeAndre Ayton? I, either one of those guys could go as high as number two based on the fact that they can do things that, that normal humans can't do. I mean, when you watch them, you're seeing all of the stuff that that, that general managers are in love with. I uh, would lean more toward Bamba if I were picking up there and choosing between those two than I would Jaron Jackson. But Jackson had an incredible workout within the past week, and there are uh, apparently franchises that are interested in going all the way up to three or four if Atlanta or Memphis is willing to deal to, to grab him. Uh, Bamba is, is somebody that just literally measures in ways that, that no NBA player measures. When he steps into that league as a rookie, he will have the, the best wingspan of, of any professional basketball player in the world. And though he is more of a traditional center, he does absolutely have the ability in time to, to step away from the basket and be able to knock down three-pointers even the way – you know, maybe Mark Gasol does in, in Memphis right now. If you go look at Mark's season-by-season season statistics, he did not become, he was not a three-point shooter or threat in any way in year one, year two, year three. For most of his career, David Fisdale came in, uh, now the head coach of the Knicks, but at the time coach of the Grizzlies, and basically demanded Mark 
step away from the basket and take those shots. Even if you don't make them, I need you taking them. Mark has become a, a reliable threat from there, and I could absolutely see Bamba being that as, as well. He, um, he and Jackson have this in common. They're both, I, I feel like, can't miss guys on the defensive end of the court. Different players, uh, but Jaron Jackson's somebody that, that projects you know, capable of switching everything. He's got really good instincts on the defensive end of the court. Um, he's 6'11 athlete, so he's going to alter shot. He's going to block shots. And then Bamba, uh, more of a rim protector than a switch everything big. But either way, I think they can both be difference makers on that end of the court, like right from the jump. The reason I prefer Bamba to Jackson is, is twofold. One, you know, we've been watching these guys play, and scouts have been watching these guys play for years and years and years. They've always been in the same class, and literally nobody ever preferred Jaron Jackson to Mo Bamba. And would they go into their one years of college, Bamba to Texas, Jaron Jackson to Michigan State? Mo Bamba was actually a productive, really good player. Jaron Jackson only played 21 minutes a game at Michigan State. And I know some people put that more on Tom Izzo than Jaron Jackson. It's hard for me to forget that in a year where – we saw freshmen like DeAndre Ayton be awesome at Arizona. Marvin Bagley, awesome at Duke. Trey Young, awesome at Oklahoma. Wendell Carter, awesome at Duke. And, yeah, I think Mobamba, at least in spurts, really, really good at Texas. Jaron Jackson was just a guy. 21 minutes a game, disappeared a lot. You know, in the NCAA tournament against Syracuse, completely ineffective. And to me, that's the concern. I understand why he's a great prospect, but I've never seen him be a great player. And so I'm more of like I, I in in these situations where the prospects are comparable, I want to lean toward the guy that A has had the better reputation forever and B was actually productive in his one year of college. But I like them both and if they both end up going in the top five or six, it won't be a surprise to me. So both both of those guys, great defensive players, and you kind of alluded to that. I, I want to switch gears for a second about a guy who's not obviously not heralded uh, for his defense. It's Trey Young out of Oklahoma. Um, there are reports out there that the Suns might be trying to pick up another pick uh, so they can grab him. What, what is the what's the temperature on him in the league? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't have my finger on the pulse necessarily of of uh, of the workouts and 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 who's where and whose stock is rising. Like, what's the NBA feel about Trey Young? Is he hit or miss? Is there some middle ground for him? Um, where, where, do you, where are you at on that? Yeah, I, I think there's middle ground for basically everybody. Um, but he is, I think, by traditional terms, a, a hit or miss guy. Because he's probably going to – he's certainly going to go in the lottery, I would think, top ten. And the opinions on him vary drastically. Some think that he's going to be physically overwhelmed and it's just not going to translate to the NBA, and I can see that. And others think that his ability to create shots, make shots, his vision, his passing ability is going to make him a a difference maker in a game where shot creators and shot makers are valued perhaps more than ever. Um, The one thing I will say is that you hear a lot of people, the the Steph Curry comparisons are – Uh, obvious, perhaps unfair, but when he makes shots uh, from the places on the court where he makes shots and looks a lot like Steph sometimes creating them, those were always going to come. Um, And I see the same things everybody else sees. It's it's right in front of you. The only thing I would say is that sometimes I get asked all the time, so do you think he's the next Steph Curry? And my response is Steph Curry's a three-time world champion with two MVPs. No, I don't think he's that. 
Um, I don't think anybody in this draft is that. If only because how many in modern history three-time champions and two MVPs are there? Like that's Steph is in such rare company that you you can't set the bar there. But I do think Trey Young can be good. And when people say really, and I mean really good, and when people say, but you know, even Steph is small, but he's smaller than Steph. That's true right now when we're talking about a 19-year-old Trey Young. But if you go look at 19-year-old Trey Young and 19-year-old Steph Curry, according to the measurements at the time, Trey Young's actually bigger right now than Steph Curry was at the same age. And if you get next to Trey, he comes across as as very, very small on television. In person, he he, he doesn't strike you quite the same way. So I, I can see him being, yeah, a defensive liability, but – so good on the offensive end that you're willing to put up with it. The point I've made before is because somebody asked me, how's he going to guard Russell Westbrook? Well, nobody guards Russell Westbrook. So like, right. you'll guard him like everybody else does. How's he going to guard James Harden? Well, he won't. Nobody does. Nobody can guard James Harden. And I don't think it's uh, – uh, I, I think it's worth pointing out that James Harden and Damian Lillard were both first-team All-NBA this year. Neither one of them are considered anything other than defensive liability. Now, they've got size in different ways than Trey does, but still, uh, they both get eaten up on that end of the court, and yet it doesn't stop them from being excellent at what they do. And so I'm a believer in Trey Young. I lean more toward he's got a chance to be special because the shot creating, the shot making, it's all there. That stuff is like, you know, you have to guard him, and this is why Steph is so devastating for defenses and, and a player that, that has to be guarded in ways that defenses rarely have to guard people. He, he can he can comfortably pull from thirty feet, like, and you have to you have to honor that. And so that's there. That translates. But you know, there's going to be somebody who likes him all the way up to maybe number five. But he could also another franchise might not take him to the top ten. Uh, I'll bottom line it this way: um, he's going to make general managers look stupid one way or another because he's got, he's either going to be great and he goes too low in this draft. Or he's going to not just be a dude, and he's going to go too high in this draft, and somebody will probably end up paying with his job. But I would lean toward I'm more of a believer than a non-believer. I, I think he's got just a, a handful of, of unique qualities that are going to allow him to, to flourish in at least. Well, he's certainly fun to watch. Um, and I hope you're right because I'm, I'm pulling for him. I like to pull for a guy like that who comes uh, – Defies all odds with his size and stuff like that. Uh, let's let's go to a segment we like to do. It's we like to have fun with it towards the end of the interview. It's called superlatives. And so uh, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions, and and uh, it'll be a little quicker than the rest. So the first question I have is best player in this year's draft in ten years from now. I'll go with Marvin Bagley, and I know the the the, the more common answer you're going to get to that is DeAndre Ayton, and, and I I certainly respect that. I when talking about the NBA draft, I always preface everything by you know what? I could be wrong. And the reason is because like the 30 people who run these franchises are wrong every single year. Like the people who ran Philadelphia this time last year were wrong to, to move up to take Markel Falls. Jason Tatum should have been a pick. Or, as we find out subsequently, Donovan Mitchell. How did Donovan Mitchell go 13th? That means 12 franchises at least, or maybe 11, depending on what you think of Tatum, were wrong. So this draft stuff is, is complicated, certainly for, for me and, and, and everybody. Um, but I would go towards Bagley just for these reasons. 
you know, he was the best 15-year-old at his age in the world, 16-year-old in the world, 17-year-old in the world, went to Duke, all-ACC performer, first-team All-American, ACC Player of the Year, super productive, shot it well from three-point range. He's an incredible athlete, great second jumper, um, somebody who can make a shot, plays with energy every possession, which you don't always get from these top-shelf guys. Um, I, I just don't, I, I don't see any way that he's not really good and I can also envision a way where he has an impact like, I don't know, maybe Amari Stoudemire, just flying around, dunking everything. Uh, I like him a lot. Okay. Um, what is the most likely way that the Knicks will screw up the ninth pick in this year's draft? <laughs> you, you, I mean, that's the thing. I live in Memphis, and the Grizzlies fans aren't even excited about the fourth pick because they just assume they're going to mess it up like they did with the team to beat way back then. Like, I can't, it's, it's almost depressing. They're like, oh, we'll just screw it up. It doesn't matter who we take. Um, with the Knicks, I mean, that's the thing. You know, you whether it's the Knicks or anybody picking in that range, you're sort of out of the the range where people think there's a future star. And you're just like almost looking for somebody who can be a, a, a quality starter for you. You know, whether that's Miles Bridges or Mikel Bridges, if Wendell Carter drops, if Trey Young's there for some reason. But I think the most disastrous situation would be Michael Porter Jr. slips because of concerns about his medicals. They take him because they're so enamored with his upside, and then we find out that the back actually was a long-term problem, and you've got mediocre, um, injured Michael Porter Jr. and a total wasted roster spot next to Porzingis, who's also coming off injury. All right, last one. Um, What is the most likely team to trade up into the top ten and throw this thing for a loop? I don't know exactly which one, but it would be somebody, I think, based on what I'm hearing over the past few days, that is in love with Jaron Jackson. You know, everybody knows that Aiden's coming off the board one. And then after that, like I said at the start, probably Doncic Bagley in some order. But there are teams out there, and I might live in the market where where one of those teams exists, that really like Jaron Jackson and really think he can be the best player from this draft, even if he was a mostly irrelevant college basketball player. And so if you know Aiton's off the board, and let's just say Sacramento's going to take Bagley or Doncic, but you think Atlanta at three or Memphis at four is moving into the Jaron Jackson range, and you genuinely believe that's the guy, not for rookie of the year, but for all NBA three years from now, five years from now, then I could see any franchise willing to go up and, and, and get into that position. So I think the most likely answer to that question is whichever franchise loves Jaron Jackson is the franchise that's going to try to do a deal, not today, but, but on draft night to get up into that three, four, five range to see if they take it, they can take the guy that they actually believe would be the, the best player from this draft uh, a couple of years, five years from now. Well, there you have it. Full draft breakdown with Gary Parrish. Thanks, Gary. You can read his mock drafts and listen to his pod. Um, Gary Parrish, CBS Sports College Basketball Insider, host of the CBS Eye on College Basketball podcast, at Gary Parrish CBS on Twitter. Thanks again for hanging out. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to talk to you, man. I'll see you soon. All right, no doubt. 
Okay, guys, uh, that wraps up like my first time driving. It Woo-hoo. was a train wreck. How did it feel? Like, I was really nervous. I got to be honest. Like I don't. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for people who do this. But uh, thanks for hanging out. Let us let us know how you think I did. Like I'd be curious to see how we did on Twitter. You could follow us at at. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Anna. Um, at Canell and Bell on Twitter. Um, lobby for this name change at Bell and Canell on Twitter. But again, thanks for hanging out. Uh, Danny will be back on Friday, uh, and that's it. See ya.